0: and if you're going to win souls you've got to love souls in spite of their meanness in spite of the way they look in spite of everything you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them because Jesus loved them and because Jesus died for them and you're trying to bring them to the son of God
1: Welcome to Sandy Creek Stirrings, and of course, thank you for joining me. Your host, Joshua Jimenez. Exciting episode that we've been announcing today. I'm sitting in-house, in-studio, if you want to call it a studio. Of course, the auditorium of the Great Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church in High Springs, Florida. But I'm sitting today with, as mentioned and announced, evangelist Dave Sommerdorf. And I'm so excited to have you on the uh, podcast with us today. Thank you for joining us, Brother Sommerdorf. Well,
0: thank you, Brother Joshua. blessing and a delight to be with you.
1: Well, it is absolutely an honor. Um, for the listeners, I wanted to start off with this. Um, Brother Sommerdorf. to me, is one of the godliest, most influential men that I know in my personal life. And um, when I was 18 years old, I don't know if you remember this story or not, Brother Sommerdorf.
0: Faintly I, Faintly. I remember catching a little, but I'd like to hear that again. Well,
1: when I was 18 years old, I um, knew I was called to preach, knew I needed to go to Bible college, and I just got into a mess. Um, Started backsliding, going into a state of rebellion and decided to change everything. I was gonna to go to a community college. I was gonna become a lawyer. I'd even called the CLA to figure out how to stay in the realm of being a Christian lawyer. Mm. And I remember um I was done. I was just fed up with, you know, ministry life, been growing up all my life in a ministry life. I just said I'm done. I don't want this anymore. And I remember you came in, you preached the revival. And, um, I went out to your motorhome. Everybody had gone. I didn't want anybody to see me. I came out to your motorhome and I knocked on the door and you opened the door and, you know, I said, um, can I talk to you? And you came out out of your busy schedule, your time, you're probably about to get in bed and you came <laughs> and you came out and you said, Hey, um, what can I talk to you about? And, you know, I looked at you and I said, um, I'm 18 and I'm, I want to quit. I just want to be wow. done. And you told me, uh, you said, you're too young to quit. And at that moment, I thought, you're not taking me very seriously. <laughs> but it hit me. I still remember that because I realized, you know what? I am too young to quit. I can't quit now. Wow. And um, that was really a turning point for me. Got everything back on track to move forward. You gave me a couple messages, and I thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for well, being Well, praise the Lord.
0: I, that encourages my heart. I think anytime we're in the ministry dealing with people, we won't always hear those stories. Uh, and yet we know we're right where God wants us. Um, but having said that, when I hear those things, that just really, really encourages my heart.
1: Well, I tell you what, you came along at the right time, and God God worked that yes. all out. And so I'm so thankful for, y- for you and just the testimony that you have. And so the listeners, I wanted them to know how— Excited I am to have you today. You're, I'm, it's like it's sitting across the table from literally one of my heroes. And so thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, and joining that's us today. humbling to hear. Well, today for the interview episode, the the listeners have heard this a few times. We've had a few interview episodes, and basically we always start off with what I feel is probably. One of the most exciting things is your salvation testimony. Everybody gets saved in the same way, Uh, all of salvation through Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, but there's different things that lead up to that. So why don't you give us your salvation testimony? What led up to that? Did you grow up in a Christian home? What is your salvation testimony? Sure.
0: Well, uh, thank you, Brother Josh. Um, I grew up in Minnesota as a farm boy. Uh, We were not a Christian home. None of us were saved. I was one of four. I'm a twin. And I'm the oldest twin of the twins, so I was the oldest in a sense. And grew up in a farming community in, in uh, Minnesota, uh, about 150 acres spread. My dad was a surveyor and a farmer. My mother was a public school teacher, taught home economics. And we were raised in, I would say, a very charactered home. German background, hardworking, great respect for authority, very organized. Sure. Um, and we went to church every Sunday. It was the family family congregational church. Okay. And and what really what that was in in essence was it, it was a work salvation. We were just trying to become good enough to be accepted by God, and um, and so we we were taught we were taught to respect the Word of God. We were taught to respect God. And the thing that I got out of that was um, the Bible was true. I knew the book was truth. Mm-hmm. I knew that was the word of God. I knew it was different than a Louis L'Amour Western. Sure. This had the handprint of God on it. I couldn't have told you why or how, but I accepted that as the final authority. So worked my way through um, my teenage years, graduated in 1979. I just dated myself. And uh, <laughs> uh, I got tired of people telling me what to do and how to live, and so I joined the Marine Corps. And uh, that's kind of like I call that teenage intelligence, you know, okay. yeah. <laughs> out of the frying pan into the fire. But I joined the Marine Corps with an eye to commission. I didn't have money for college. I wanted to commission, become an officer. We call that mustanging and then go on to be a pilot with the Corps. So while I was in the Marines, I finished uh, recruit training, um, had two officer programs, was accepted in the uh, heading for the Naval Academy Prep School. And while I was waiting for those orders to catch up with me, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and a buddy of mine Ike Mills was his name, Lance Corporal Ike Mills, asked me the million dollar question. Right. He asked me, David, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven to be with the Mm. Lord? And I remember first first response was, that's really none of your business. He said, well, I made it my business. Answer the question. Wow. Kind of direct, you know, Marine Corps. (laughs) And uh, he said, um, uh, you know, and I said, well, I hope so. And he said, well, the Bible says you can know. And I said, no, it doesn't. He said, yes, it does. I said, no, Ike, you're nuts. It doesn't say that. And he said, let me show you. And he took me to First John 5, 11 through 13. Right. And there I read, never had seen it before, in my minimal tapping of the Bible as a lost kid, I read, uh, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Time kind of stood still at that moment. I remember looking at that thing, and seeing the Bible declared you could know you have, not hope you'd get it. Mm. And I realized right then that I, I didn't know what the Bible said. I, I had carried it, I had quoted John three sixteen, I'd gone through religious ceremonies and 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 heard people speak about it, but I did not know the mind of God, obviously, because I didn't know I had it. Wow. And so I remember at that moment, you know, here I am, I'm looking at a career uh, potentially in the future, an officer in the Marine Corps. This was all my dreams coming to, to pass, and and yet I knew I hadn't settled the bigger, the bigger question, sure. and that was where was I going to go when I died. So while I was waiting for those orders and doing my electronics training in Memphis, Millington, Tennessee, I gave myself to search the truth. I began to get very involved in Bible studies, Went to an independent Baptist church for the preaching of God's word. Monday night Bible studies right off the base there at a serviceman center outreach. And about two months later, came to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Wow. Amen. Yeah, he saved me in a Monday night Bible study mm-hmm. and came to understand I was a sinner that needed to be saved from my sin. I needed the Savior and that salvation was grace. It wasn't works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves; it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't know that I fully understood everything that took place that moment. I just knew mm-hmm. something was very different. Uh, my faith had found a resting place. It wasn't trying; it was simply trusting now. And I began to immediately get a burden for my family. Okay. okay. I remember calling in, calling Mom the next day. All-American Mom. That was Mom. She was just a class act. And uh, she answered the phone. I was the first one, you know, to leave home, tell dad how it was, and I'm out of here. And uh, mom answers the phone, and, and she said, how's it going, David? And I said, guess what, mom? I got saved. And I remember her response. It just It just sits there. You can just, some things just don't ever diminish with time. On the other end, I heard this. Stuttering and stammering. Well, um, well that that's well that that that's good, David. We're we're happy for you. Mom really didn't know what to say. Right. <laughs> and uh, found out afterwards, Dad was listening in from the den. And as Mom hung the phone up, Dad asked, "Was that David?" "Yep. Yes. Sir. Yeah. That was David. What's up with David?" And my mother said, "I think he got religion." And uh, you know, my sage, strict, very logical German father. He kind of snorted, and he said, well, just be glad the kid's not on drugs. And that was kind of his takeaway. <laughs> oh, you know, it was like, we can handle this. It could be worse. Right. That was his <laughs> way of packaging that thing, you know. But I'll never forget, I uh, came home on leave five months later, and as I stepped off the jet in the dress blues and uh, met the family, they could all meet you back then at the gate. Mm. I had tucked under my hand a big old Bible. Wow. And my goal was to get the gospel to my family sure so uh i remember we stepped off fanned out headed for my sea bag and baggage claim i still remember my kid brother ron seeing me carrying that bible the corner of my eye saw him just shake his head like what a religious freak i mean he was embarrassed his -hmm. brother was carrying a bible you know and uh, but that night after supper i sat them all down got a big two foot by three foot piece of cardboard and began to sketch out the gospel message, the two cliffs, man separated from God by the gulf of sin, trying to build the good works bridge which we had been trying to do for years. that was our family. we were the all-American family. and um, just showed how the, the, the there's there's nothing we can do to get us across that gulf of sin but then what we couldn't do God had already done in John 14:6 he's the way the truth and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ and built that cross, Intersecting where sin was, the word Jesus built the cross, drew the arrow over. It took about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, to just sketch it out. Let them know if you don't make peace with God through Calvary, that you die and go to a place called the Lake of Fire, eventually mm-hmm. Revelation twenty-one eight. But if you'll trust Him and saved, you get to go to a place called heaven. Just sketched it all out, and then I just looked at all of them and I said, if you died right now, what side of that cross would you be on? And I left it with them. I didn't put mm-hmm. any pressure on them. And nothing. Just I knew my very and we could use the word proud, self-sufficient, hardworking, educated family was not going to be pressured into anything. This was something they had to chew on. So I left it with them, begin to pray for them. Within a year or so, my twin brother Doug got saved. My kid brother Ron got saved. The one that just shook his head like what a freak. And he is uh, he's he married a an independent Baptist pastor's daughter, they're up in Fairbanks and, yeah. and serving the Lord uh, with, with their son. And uh, my mother got saved. I baptized her uh, when she came up to visit me in Alaska shortly after my time with the Corps was over. I was a young pastor. Uh, my kid sister made a profession of faith, began to hold Bible studies in the library, and then dad, eight years later, after reading his Bible through two complete times, cover to cover. Wow. Uh, maybe to try to disprove what his son was telling him, mm-hmm. he came to know the Lord as Savior as well. So, you know, my salvation—there was my salvation story, and in in that, how those ripples went out far beyond me and began to affect the family, and um, and then their children and other families. And it was just, Lord's good. He right. um, he is all all the glory goes to Him because had He not saved me. Uh, I wouldn't be who I am, wouldn't be where I am, wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Right. So to God be the glory. That's yeah. so exciting. And I love the
1: fact of how you took a, a poster board, a piece of cardboard, to um, witness to your family. Yeah. And I think that's something that Christians, when I see people get saved, they're unsure of how to go talk to their family. And I think just the thing of being creative and trying to figure out what works best for my family, you knew that pressuring them wouldn't work. Correct. And so you knew, you know, leave them with the question— and let it lie. Plant the seed and, and just water it. No, that's exactly. And um, right. I love how you were creative. And so for the listeners out there, there is a way for you to witness to your family. And maybe you just need to stop and pray and say, God, how can I best do this? How can I witness to my family? And maybe it's that bridge illustration that yeah. you mentioned.
0: No, that's exactly right. You know, what's interesting, if you go back to the old farmhouse that we practically built by hand, and you uh, go up to that second story where myself and my twin brother Doug were as kids, you'll find that piece of cardboard still perched there on my desk my my mom grabbed that thing and she saved it after all these years as a testimony really kind of a stone of remembrance to the first time the family ever heard the gospel clearly wow. so i tell you know it, to the listeners i would say you know you're saved you have family members that aren't saved um you find a way mm-hmm. um you you pray for them you love on them And get the truth to them and then pray God will prosper the seed. So, sure,
1: amen. That's exciting. And they still, um, your parents are they still in Minnesota, still in that same house?
0: Yeah, still in the same house. That's exciting. Dad's uh, dad's gonna be uh, 87 this year. Parkinson's Mm -hmm. really has wound down physically. Uh, mom just as chipper as ever. Probably talk to him twice a week, and always the Lord is in that conversation all right. all the time. So what a difference! It's right. it's a blessing, but still there, and um, uh, it's it's just a, a blessing to see as my dad ages now, eighty seven, maybe a year or two left, to know that one day he'll not be lost entirely. He'll be on right. the other side more alive yeah. than he's ever been. So it it will it will not be goodbye. It'll be see you soon. Sure.
1: No, that's yeah. phenomenal. What a great story. I, I just love hearing everybody. To me, that's the best part, just yeah. hearing their salvation testimony yeah. and hearing how they came to the Lord. Now, in just a second, I'm going to have you tell us exactly what you do as an evangelist, what your current ministry is, and uh, introduce us to your your wife and your family, and um, just through audio, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, so, listeners, that is coming your way. But before you do that, you mentioned the Marines, and um, what exactly did you do in the Marines?
0: I was avionics with EA-6B Prowlers, so I was uh, radars and radios on a four-seat jammer aircraft, an attack aircraft, and uh, it was a jet. And uh, so I was stationed at Whidbey Island north of Seattle, and it was a training squadron. So I was actually with a Navy squadron as a Marine augment. We had both Navy and Marine pilots coming out of Pensacola, okay. so they wanted Navy and Marine presence on the ground working with these guys. So um, that that was my training, and I got my airborne troubleshooter rating, so I flew in them as well, back mm-hmm. left seat, ECMO 3 we called it, electronic countermeasure officer 3, and I worked as a troubleshooter, and it was a lot of fun. Got on aircraft carriers for 10-day carrier calls, um, got to Fallon, Nevada, just uh, a lot of different places. But uh, it was a great place for me to learn the ministry, to uh, really be confronted by every religious belief you could think of out there. As, sure. as I stayed on base in the barracks as a single guy rose to the rank of sergeant, um, I began a Bible study in the base barracks there. We mm. uh, grew to about probably 16 on a Monday night. Wow! We began to actively pursue everybody coming in. They were new new guys that were only going to be there for a few months before they went on to other squadrons, so we would catch them as they came in, befriend them, get the gospel to them. It became quite a ministry, and I learned so much about other religions, other beliefs, and how to deal with these guys, because as much as I hate to say this, the Navy and Marine Corps are not necessarily (laughs) gospel-friendly organizations, you know. Right. Um, but uh, it, those were probably some of my most enjoyable early years where I learned just so much in a practical way, engaging unredeemed people, sailors and Marines, and getting the gospel to them. Right. Wow. Did you find it
1: hard—I've I've heard this from some other military veterans that I've talked to—did you find it hard to remain a, a Christian while in the military? Did you find it hard to be a, a practicing Christian while in the military?
0: You know— in in some ways, yes, but in other ways, no. I think the key was I was uh, I was good troop. We call that good troop. I mean, I was a good marine. I did a great job. I wasn't. I was. I was. Ne- I was very punctual, character, hardworking. So you received a level of respect because uh, you weren't a dirtbag, and right. and and because you were a good marine, guys would respect you, though they may have hated your message. Or your savior, they respected you. They couldn't find anything against you. I was, though. I did receive a direct order from my non-commissioned officer in charge at one point not to witness, mm-hmm. even on my free time. Threatened me mm-hmm. with court martial. Uh, oh. That was a that was a moment that was tough. That was an illegal order, clearly illegal. And uh, I gave him the respect due him, but it didn't stop me mm-hmm. from being a witness on my time. Right and. Um, is interesting because here's what I found. If you were real and you, you did a good job and you were a good Marine and uh, they respected you f- for who you were in the Corps, even though they may have hated the gospel, I mean, you got to realize I would put Bible verses on the outside of my door, big mm. pieces of paper, and I remember <laughs> the one they really hated was fools make a mock at sin, and I put mm. that up there and they centerfolded my whole door. I mean, the guys in the barracks had hated that. They sent so we had centerfold and verse wars on my door for two years, and this is <laughs> this is how real it was. But you know what's interesting is late at night when the chips were down and some of these guys' life, the barracks got quiet. Ten o'clock at night, ten thirty at night. Sometimes I get that little, you know, knock on my door. Right. And I'd I'd open the door and there was a guy that cussed me out a few days earlier. Couldn't stand me. Man, mama was gonna die. Girlfriend yeah. had just broken up with him. And like little Nicodemus, he'd come and he'd say, hey, Sarge, can we talk? And they knew who was real. Right. And they would come to you when the chips were down. So that really held me in place, too, because I realized if I if I moved away from that, that as much as they disliked me, I w- there was an anchor of truth and light that wasn't going to be there then. And uh, they would lose that. Mm-hmm. And it, they'd still, as much as they hated me, they wanted that. There's no yeah. atheist in a foxhole, yeah. and there's still that element that you really want to believe mm. God is real, and uh, those who live for him make him very manifestly real. Right. Yeah. Wow.
1: Now, um, as while you were in the Marines, obviously you still do a fair amount with the troops and things. I know you yeah. send them care packages and things of that sort. Um, I'm so thankful for our veterans and how they've sacrificed their life, and thank you for your service. And um, how can a church, how can somebody be a blessing to troops and just be a blessing to their veterans that they have within their church? What do you think is a great way for them just to be a blessing and encouragement?
0: Well, I think I think you want to, as a church, always have that Veterans Sunday where you put an emphasis on that and, and give the guys and the men and women who are and who used to be in uniform the opportunity to just say thank you to them. Yeah. Um, and so saying it is one thing. Like one uh, commanding general said to me one time, he said, but go beyond just saying it demonstrate it, you know, uh, take them out to lunch, uh, give them a gift card. Sure. You know, go ahead and, and, uh, uh, take them somewhere. If they need a ride, some of the older guys, if they need to get to the VA clinic or something, go ahead and Mm -hmm. pick them up and befriend them. And so those, those are the ways just practically speaking. And obviously their greatest need is spiritual. They have emotional needs. They have physical needs. A lot of these guys got baggage uh, coming back, especially with the Gulf War and stuff, and uh, and we call it PTSD. Uh, the suicide rate's real, but you know they're a whole unit, and you have to look at them spiritually too. You can't yeah. just deal with the emotional, physical. You got to deal with the spiritual aspect. Sure. And uh, and we know that well, uh, but I've been able to. Uh, be welcomed by some chaplains, be welcomed into some of the veterans organizations to get my par- care packages and stuff to them. Right. So that uh, that I tell them, I said, I deal with a whole troop approach and that includes s- their spiritual needs as well. And, uh, and they recognize that they have no problem with that. They understand that philosophy.
1: Yeah. Wow. There you go. Now, did you meet your wife while you were in the Marines?
0: I did. I did. Well, the first time I ever saw her, she was 15 years old. And And you uh, were how old? I was 19, so I'm four years her senior. Oh, okay. And she meant nothing to me. I mean, I can be quite frank. She hates it when I say this, but (laughs) she was just a little runny-nosed tomboy. That's all she was. She cared less about guys. Her dad... Uh, had told her, don't be messing with the boys. So she said, sounds good. He said, I'll give you a horse instead. She said, that's even better. And so she had her horse, and she wanted nothing to do with anybody. And she's a little... Was this tumbling. in Minnesota? No, this was yeah. in Whidbey Island. Uh, oh, her okay. dad was Navy. Okay. And so their family was stationed at, uh, in Whidbey Island, and they attended the same church I attended. Okay. At, under the ministry of Dr. Gary, the late Dr. Gary Prisk. Okay. And so... Um, <laughs> She, uh, she was teaching a Sunday school class, an assistant to one of the ladies, and then eventually I got a Sunday school class with uh, fifth and sixth grade boys. Sure. And our two classes were next door to each other, for, I would say, easily for a year and a half, two years. I never paid her any mind. I, was, I didn't go to church to get a girl. I went to church to serve the Lord. Mm, and I just was running and chasing him with all my heart. And I remember a couple of years into that, I looked over and there she was running and chasing him with all her heart. And I just thought to myself, maybe that's the one for me. Hmm. And so uh, we got married uh, right after her nineteenth birthday. I was twenty-three. Okay. Uh, I had I'd been out of the corps for one year, and I had moved to Alaska. Was doing mission work up in Alaska. Came back a year year after doing all of that. Married her. Brought her up in Alaska. Has been our state of residence since nineteen eighty-four. Sure.
1: Wow! Yeah. So I met I met Tabitha when I was 18. She was 15. So oh. I brought back some memories. Oh boy! There. And uh, so, but that's pretty neat. So you left the Marine Corps yep. with your wife and went up to um, Alaska. You mentioned you were doing mission work, pastoring. What were you doing?
0: I was pastoring, assistant pastoring. Okay. Um, and uh, then I also started a Christian school that it was just for our local church. We had about a dozen kids in there. So really, a majority of my ministry, with the exception of maybe eight months, was more of a lay pastor. Okay, a lay assistant. I had a business; it paid the freight, sure. And I just did the ministry for free. Not for everybody. It's quite a candle burner, you know. Right. When you're a husband, a dad, a businessman, and then in ministry, right? But it fit my personality. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, definitely suited, well suited to that. Sure. And so that's, uh, that was, uh, that was our ministry up there. Mer- very multifaceted.
1: What kind of business did you run? Rainbow Vax,
0: Rainbow the water-filled vac called okay. the Rainbow. So we were sales. I eventually became the factory direct for all of Alaska and it was a very lucrative business and it was a wonderful product. I loved the product. It just practically sold itself. Do you still have one? Oh, absolutely! You do. We do. Really?
1: Yep. I uh, to be honest with you, I don't even think I've ever seen one before. It uses I've heard water. Of them. Uses, it uses water, water as a
0: filter, not mm-hmm. a bag. Yeah. So
1: could so being a salesman, do you think you could sell me one right here at the table? You think you could still sell one and, and do it? <laughs> it,
0: it very easily? Very it, easily. it's just it's such a unique product, and they're made really? in Michigan. They're all American made. Ah, okay. And a little trivia fact: the president of the company is a personal friend of mine, mm-hmm. Paul Vitovich. And uh, he went to church with the Bows. Okay. so they're uh, Southern Baptists out of Jacksonville, Florida. Hmm. Paul and Kitty Vidovich, and uh, but uh, no, great product, and uh, I, I yeah, yeah, really? it, 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 they were easy. The ladies hmm. liked them. They liked okay. them because of the water and the ability to clean the air or or use it to clean the home, whatever. It was just it made sense cleaning with a with a rainstorm. Wow. made more sense than cleaning with a dust storm. And you still yeah. have one. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, I'm got impressed. the newest, latest, in, greatest. Yeah, yeah you we, believe in the product. You still do. In that, in that motorhome, because that's what okay. we live in, 320 right. square feet. We have this just fantastic cleaning machine. Really? <laughs> so we still have them. It's the only thing we use. We won't use anything else. Now, you mentioned,
1: uh, th- uh, this is just playing on my curiosity now, uh, you mentioned clean the air.
0: Yeah. It's, so it's not like a vacuum? It's, it's, I call it this, it's a hydro cleaner. It uses water as a filter. Okay. So if you just turn it on low and let it sit, it'll just process your air and take all the dust to oh, out. Okay. Stick a hose on it, fire it up high power, and now you're running everything through a liquid bath so really? it doesn't blow dust. Put a disinfectant in it. It disinfects wow. everything that hits it, sanitizes. Great for people with allergies. My wife has allergies, so it was a great product, so, uh. Uh, I would always use it as a witnessing tool when I would go into homes and show the product. Sure. Um, I hated high pressure. I despised high pressure. I felt that if I could get that product and show people what it could do for them where they actually wanted it, right. it would be very easy for them to get it because I just had to show them the options to buy it. For sure. And um, and uh, so whenever I finished, though, I would tell people, now I showed you a product that cleans your home. Here's a little information on someone who can clean your heart. And I would always give a gospel. I only got thrown out one time. Uh, Mm. One time uh, was the only time that cost. A guy said it cost you a sale. And I said, well, I guess that was worth it then, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But other than that, people actually, by then I'd made such a friendship with the people, they were happy to get the info and they trusted me. So, yeah, it's all about people. It's all about people.
1: Did you start that within your area? Is that something you um you started the business or was no, it a business you took no, over? I was
0: hired it was started by the pastor's sons. Okay. And I hired on as just a guy out showing the product. Sure. You know, a private. Mm-hmm. And a few years later became the commanding general of the whole operation. Okay. So the Lord was good. It 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 was a it was a good opportunity.
1: For yeah. for the listeners out there who have a business, um, of course, I didn't own a business, but mm-hmm. I, I was the manager. I was the top guy under the boss. And, you know, something I found difficult when we were just newly married, just had a couple of children, was balancing that time. Something mm-hmm. you've already mentioned, you know, how do you balance family time? And I was basically full-time at the church as well. Yep. Um, And then not only that, but then your work and then ministry, how do you balance that? What do you tell, if I were to ask you that, how do I balance it? What would you tell me?
0: Probably the easiest way to do that would be, Make sure your wife has a full day or a day and another half day that's all hers. Okay. You will not answer a call. Business related. Somebody else gets to deal with that. Mm -hmm. You farm that out. If she has that and she knows she has you undivided for 24 hours, and that was always uh, Wednesday was her day, and and a half day Saturday was her day. We finally had to do that. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't say no to anybody, she could make book on that. That was her day, where she had her man. Family had dad undivided, and that was another half day prepping for Sunday. Dad was home and totally immersed. Now that did that wasn't the only time I was with him, but that one was just theirs, right? And yeah. nobody barged into that. Sure, no, but not church related, not even business related. Right, that helped tremendously. Hmm. Yeah. So as as tough as that got for scheduling, she knew, oh, in two more days, he's all mine. And and that said that she was a priority.
1: That's good. That's good. You must have been
0: incredibly busy. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I mean,
1: I'm, I know for me, I had to, you know, still teaching Sunday school and things of that sort. I, uh, you know, studying. You Unbelievably know, busy. Go late, late at night, and then you'd study, and she'd be in It's bed a young man's and, game. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it was definitely difficult finding that balance, but um, God can definitely work through yeah. it and allow you to do some things. Um, there are some listeners who obviously work a job. And um, you being that guy, were you in charge of like hiring guys and stuff of that sort? Yeah. Did you at, have an involvement at, at, in that?
0: At the pinnacle of the business, uh, you know, I was, I, I had the whole franchise for all of Alaska. So I had uh, collectively 43 people working wow. for me. Yeah. And they were in various positions, whether they were just a sales rep or they were actual distributor owning a company. So multifaceted, multilayered, and with all the things that come with people. You know, Sure. So, uh, yeah, I was in charge of the whole ship hang mm-hmm. everything that happened. Yep.
1: Now, these guys that are employed that are listening, if they want to move up in their whatever career they are, whether they work at a retail or whatever, and they want to move up, um, what qualities do you think that they need to work on? I know for me, a big one was initiative. I wanted my employees to have initiative, get the job sure. done, even if I didn't ask. What What is their best thing that they can work on to try and move
0: up and to try and move up the chain as far as in their career? Well, I think anytime you look at being, and we'll say it this way, being a good employee, so okay. you say, well, what is that? Would that be a skill or an attitude? Yeah, here's an interesting question. When you look at how a boss would hire or how why a boss would promote, does he do that based on skills or does he do that based on attitudes? I don't believe he does that primarily on skills. I believe he does it on attitudes, and here's what I mean. If you were to just pause for a moment and say, describe a fantastic employee, what kind of qualities would that be? Mm -hmm. Well, we could go back and forth. One of the things would be he's or she is punctual. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right. So is that a skill or is that an attitude?
1: Well, now that you put it that way, it's making me rethink things. (laughs) It's an attitude. Yeah.
0: It's not a skill. All right. So what would be another one? They're honest. They'll never lift from the till. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? They're going to be honest. Is that a skill or an attitude? It's an attitude. That's an attitude. How about this one? They're extremely hardworking. Whatever they put themselves to, it's 100%. They're very productive. Is that a skill or an attitude? It's
1: an attitude. That's an
0: attitude. See, when you get down to it, really almost everything in our life that determines the altitude we're going to fly at, whether that's spiritually, whether that's in our workplace, it's not a skill. It's an attitude. And here's the thing. You can have very skilled people with the wrong attitudes, and they'll go nowhere. It's true. In fact, they'll be just an anchor and a problem. But you can have somebody with the right attitudes, and you can teach them any skill. Hmm. It's attitude. And that's in ministry and church. Yeah. You say, wow, uh, uh, with rare exceptions. You, but I know song leaders that are phenomenal song leaders, and they cannot carry a tune in a bucket. Mm-hmm. But by the time they're done, that whole church is leaning forward, waiting for the message. They prepared the individuals for the preaching, which is the goal of the song leader. Right, That's an attitude. I know guys with amazing voices, and they just got a bad attitude. By the time they're done, they're just a wet blanket. They're just, mm-hmm. how come everybody's not here? You know, where did everybody go today? You know, and it's like, ah, they're killing it. So yeah. really, ministries, are service to the Lord, those of you in the workplace, man, it's attitudes. Mm-hmm. Doors open. When you become, and you got to say it, when you become Christ like. Yeah. And you operate like your Savior, which is all of those things that are lovely and all of the character that's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really
1: good. That's really good. When you put it that way, it makes me rethink everything. And, you know, I think I was thinking along the line of skills, but you're right. Those are attitudes. Attitudes. And um, it's true. I think the biggest problem that I get myself into is attitude. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) if I could do a better job controlling my attitude, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes. Uh, yes. All the time. Yeah. And uh, because it can be like a roller coaster sometimes, you know, so you got to learn to control that. And so you're married, um, running a business, running the church, doing all these
0: different things, and um, having kids along the way? Sure. Six children. Okay. Six lovely children. We've got uh, five of them are married now. We have 11 grandchildren and a 12th on the way, all nine years of age and under. So it's been
1: amazing. All under nine years of age. Yeah,
0: so it's been good. Um, Most of them are here in the States. Our youngest son with his wife uh, is up in Alaska. He's a semi-truck driver, but everybody else is on the East Coast. Two pockets, one Washington, D.C., uh, Baltimore area, the other one uh, down here in Florida, okay. Orlando and Tampa, yeah. Okay. So
1: you're, you had six kids, had a wife, and you're running the business, run everything, and then one day you decided to drop it all and get in a motorhome and start traveling as a full-time <laughs> evangelist. What led to that? Especially, I'm, I think most people are thinking, with six kids, um, what led to that?
0: <laughs> that's interesting. Well, one of the things that's interesting is we determined... Uh, uh, that the business was only going to be a stepping stone. Uh, there was no way that was going to be my perpetual thing. So we got sure. completely out of debt. We owned even our own house. And there came a day where I put the key in the ignition of my car uh, to to head into work, and the Spirit of God said, you're done. Hmm. Now you need to prepare to transition. And uh, so we really began to seek out what that would be. We thought maybe Israel as missionaries and so forth, but at the time, to make that long story short, in essence, we realized that our greatest resource were our children. Hmm. And so we prayed much about it and determined that, uh, we would go on the road, they would be the singing group. Dad would be the minister, the preacher, and we would go ahead and engage churches and be a help and work, uh, with ministry here in the United States. So, um, I had to have all my ministries covered. I had seven ministries in the local church at the time. I wasn't going to leave the local church in a lurch. Sure. I had to have three godly men all agree, this is what your next step should be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to just jump out there, and I had to be completely out of debt. Those were, That was the trifecta of preparation. Okay. And once all those lights went green, then the Lord launched us. Hmm.
1: And so you just hopped in the motorhome and started traveling full-time, ministering, and doing all those different things. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. How did you? How did so? How did you manage? I think most listeners want to want this question to be asked. How did you manage six kids full time on the road? Homeschooled? Well, obviously, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess the, I guess that's a given. Did you asked the question given. that my I wife did. would always chuckle at. I did. I guess that's a very given. And because uh, that was us, we were homeschooled on the road. Yep. I, but there was only three of us when we traveled. Yep. How did you do six? How'd well, that, that was, work?
0: You got to have a great wife for that, because as much as you would say it's you. Your wife carries the load. Yeah. And she is definitely the one that is gonna be doing that. And Deb just did a phenomenal job. She she did the majority of that. And then uh I worked with them when they got into the higher maths sciences, chemistry, okay. physics, things like that, algebra, trigonometry, then Dad got involved in that. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Were there enough beds? No, no, we had to improv. Okay. You know, one slept on the floor. One of them was a kicker, so she got the whole uh dinette bed to herself okay. uh, then two were on the couch and then we did a bunk for the remaining two so okay. they all had the forward compartment in the submarine mm-hmm. my wife and i had the aft compartment in the submarine okay that was ours in the bathroom and the shower were in between those two okay yeah so it, it's cool. submarine warfare right that's what it is
1: now if you had to pick a place what would you say is your favorite place you were able to visit while traveling on the road, because we got to see some cool things, you know, that otherwise we wouldn't have able to, been able to see if we weren't on the road. What'd your, what was your favorite place to visit? You know, it
0: depended on the time of the year. Florida is yeah. our favorite place in the winter. Okay. <laughs> okay, there you go. So uh, just a lot of beautiful places, and a lot of those places that would ring up in our hearts, say, man, that was just great. A lot of times it wasn't just necessar- necessarily the geographics, it would be the church, mm-hmm. the vibrancy, a church on fire, just, uh, you know, we've got a lot of, lot of great memories sure. of people, and places, so it varies. Okay.
1: okay. hey, Praise the Lord. And so um, you you raised six kids on the road. How long have you and your wife been married?
0: We've been married now 36 years, coming up on 37.
1: 37 yep. years. So not a record, but in today's world, really, really good. You're beating yeah. the, the standard today yeah, of today's that's true. marriage. That's true. And um, what would you say is the key to having a lasting marriage?
0: You know, for... For anybody to really have, and to make it last is one thing, but to have an enjoyable, lasting marriage, I mean, I think we have to make that distinction because some people just tough it out because they're expected to. But Mm -hmm. to have that vibrant marriage, people say, well, you got to get close to each other. And I say, nah, it's better to get closer to the Lord. And if you look at a triangle, you have. If you put the Lord up on the top of that triangle and then you have the wife on one corner and the husband on the other, you know, if you'll get as close to him as you can, each of you trying to get as close to him as you can, the closer you get to him, the closer you get to each other. Hmm. To say that we had no struggles is foolish. I mean, that's not even being real. She's a firstborn. I'm a firstborn. So we're both, you know, but she immediately yielded to my authority. She didn't fight me on that. Probably the bigger struggle was my willingness to slow down and really love on her and just to be a just a great friend to her very driven guy a lot of times we can just go ahead and say here you go all right and just just add that wife to our pile of possessions almost Mm -hmm. and then move our vision out into ministry and stuff and yeah. to be frank, when you're in a commission-only ministry, which is what evangelism is, yeah, that puts a special pressure on everything. Right. But I had to learn how to slow down and take care of the crew. And, and if you were to ask my wife today, uh, how and I did, I asked her this morning before the interview, I said, so how are we doing, huh? She goes, these are the best years of our life. Wow. Yeah. And, and so if you're listening right now and you say, well, we got some struggles, or we had some struggles or things aren't everything they ought to be. I always say this, you can always finish well. Mm -hmm. You can always, it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. From this day forward, you can turn, get back to walking with the Lord, and it'll automatically enhance the relationship with one another. Mm.
1: That's powerful. Mm. That's powerful. And so listeners out there, make sure you write that down. You're going to want to put that into practice and remember that and keep that on the forefront of your mind. Now, as you traveled and uh, six children, they were singing. Yep, I remember. I used to love hearing your family sing. They were so great. I think before the service last night, um, we had the CD playing from yep. when they were uh, from when they were traveling on the road. I think a lot of parents would love for their children to be involved in the music ministry, but not don't know how to get them there. How do you get? children to kind of move them in the direction of, hey, let's see if music is something for you. Let's push them that way. How, do, how, do, how does a parent do that?
0: now You know, it's very easy to do, actually. And I would say this, as we travel around, it's shocking to me how few young people are involved in music. Now, they're involved in video games. yeah <laughs> They're involved in electronics. They're involved in all that stuff, which, frankly, is not going to be used by the Lord for ministry. Music mm-hmm. is that universal language so I recommend to parents, always get your kids into piano lessons. Okay. Get them into piano lessons for two years, whether they like it or not, they have no choice. Okay. Get them into piano lessons. Even my parents did that to, to all of us as children. We That was required. You had mm-hmm. no choice. And then afterwards, they allowed us to pick whatever instrument we wanted to play if we didn't want to stick with piano, which, of course, none of us did. <laughs> so so get them into piano. Uh, Have them, uh, you know, if they want to learn parts, have them stand next to somebody. Our daughter Chandra would stand next to our pastor's wife, uh, Mrs. Watson, Sister Watson, who was a strong alto. And she just learned to catch that alto line, and she became our strong alto in our singing group. And then get them to do specials together. So you really, it's very easy to surround a piano and sing. It's very easy to just go in. And so I say get the piano in the home. Get the piano involved. The keyboard, easy to do. And get those kids in the lessons that's your starting point. That's where it all begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Now, you, you mentioned something at dinner the other night. Um, you were talking to somebody, I don't remember who it was, and you said, let me give you three things on keeping your kids. Oh, you remember yeah. that? Uh-huh. Give the listeners that on keeping your kids and, and keeping them in the Lord's work. What were those three things? You yeah,
0: mentioned? and those, <laughs> excuse me, those three things we had gleaned from a pastor in Michigan, but uh, it was with the idea of your children not just being tepid or marginal, but that long after they leave the home, that they would be passionate and they would be very involved. They said three things. If you'll do these three things, greatly improves the chances your children are going to be uh, pursuers of the Lord in a great way. Number one, be real. Okay. Be real. Every home has an elephant in it. Mm-hmm. Every home, it could be an elephant of attitude, could be a role reversal, could be, it, it just, there's elephants. There's no perfect family. Yeah. Be real. Don't be fake and be something different publicly than you are privately. Your kids, your kids love it being real. So be real, number one. Number two, go to every camp you can. Go to family camp. Go to teen camp, youth camp, 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 camp. Get them unplugged from electronics. Get them immersed in the Word of God. And number three, when they get into those teenage years, get them to a third world mission work for seven mm-hmm. to ten days. Not just one. Try to do two or three before they graduate. And not a vacation. But an actual mission work where they're in a third world country, sure. it, where they can taste joy, see people with nothing that have more joy than they have, and they have everything. Mm-hmm. And it, it, he said, if you'll do those three things, it'll greatly improve the chances your kids are going to be passionate pursuers of the Lord.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. That is good, good, good advice. And so kept traveling, your six kids ended up leaving one by one. And you went out and bought a Corvette. Oh, yeah. Tell us about this Corvette. How did that happen? <laughs> How did that come along? What do you do with it? Well, What's know, its we had in the a tent
0: ministry for a number of years, but once the kids left, I lost my singing group, I lost my worker bees, so I was looking for a new tool of engagement and got the idea from Pastor Stan Roach, who travels America with a Vietnam vet, I came out with a Marine Corvette. Okay. I've now transitioned the name to Military Vet. And, um it's uh, got all the 9-11 victims' names under the hood. It's got all the troops who died, Iraq, Afghanistan, on the trunk, 6,318. So it's really a mobile memorial is what it is. Okay. And we use that across America to prep a meeting. We'd park it at a Walmart on a Saturday, have the brochures for the meeting, uh, go ahead and give people who came by um, a, a brochure on the car, tour them through the car, and then have them sign up for the delivery of the free movie to their door by our local sponsor. Okay. Uh, local sponsor was the local church. So sure. usually in about four hours of, a, of our freedom display out there in front of a Walmart, uh, we would probably get 40 to 60 visits for the church to make. And every individual knew it was spiritual in nature. There was no bait and switch. Right. I would let them know I'm a Marine and uh, now I'm a traveling minister. So whatever is going to be delivered to their door is going to show them how to pass final inspection. Mm-hmm. And they would totally get it and look forward to In fact, I would get calls if people didn't get the delivery right away wondering where their gift was. So mm-hmm. very, very powerful. So we got the gospel, and the DVD we developed is a 15-chapter movie. It walks people to Calvary. We saw people get saved just watching that. Church could deal with them at the door, and we almost always had visitors come to the services yeah. because of that outreach. The most we ever had, we had a church in Colorado. We had 40 visitors show up to a church of 45 people. Wow! They didn't know what to do. That is exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, it was exciting. That was quite a day, and mm. and um, and it was uh, it was a blessing. So great things. We've been from Ground Zero, in New York City. New York Fire's brought us in twice with a car all the way over to Camp Pendleton, California. The car's been all over the place. Sat for fourteen months in the Corvette National Museum, and now is up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, in a museum up there, just outside of Ground Zero. Here. Okay. So,
1: yeah. it's an impressive car to see, too. Yeah, it's and- it's something. Wow! Yeah, it's really, really, and,
0: and, I, and i and brother Josh. I'm not a car guy. It really, okay. I'm a pilot. I, I mean, sure. you give me a Super Cub. We're talking. It just mm-hmm. was a tool. Mm-hmm. There was, it wasn't some midlife crisis. Sure, it just was a tool, but it really was effective while we used it. Right?
1: Is there a uh, is there a website people can go to to learn more about this car? Sure.
0: Summerdorf.com uh, okay. is our ministry website and military vet. Okay. V e t t e military okay. vet. Uh, dot com. It'll pull up and uh and there's short videos and stuff and certainly if if anybody listening would like the full movie, they just they can get a hold of me, David okay. Sommerdorf okay. at Yahoo dot com. Okay. Summerdorf is S O M M E R D O R F. Okay. David Summerdorf at Yahoo dot com. If they'll just text me uh their uh mailing address, I'll send a copy out, no charge.
1: Wow. Amen. So listeners, you can uh, do that. And we're going to have uh, links in the description of this sh- uh, of this episode to both of those websites he just mentioned for the military corvette and to your website as All well. Right. So we'll have both Great. of those. Great. Great. Um, I want to finish up close by with this. Um, you're traveling churches across America and still doing that full time. And you're se- going in and you're seeing the structure, you're seeing the lay of the land. What is this generation coming up? You know, the people my age, what are we going to have to pick up if we expect our, our churches to survive moving
0: forward in the future? What are you saying spiritually? Well, and, you know, when I look at our churches as a whole right now, uh, we do have some weaknesses. Uh, we have to be quite frank about it. First of all, I do see us losing that next generation of young people. Yeah. But to me, that's not as much a church problem as it is a family problem uh, dads just aren't being what dads ought to be. Moms aren't being what moms ought to be. And, um, I would, I would say to the listeners right now, you say, uh, with that young generation, you know, they'll rise to whatever challenge you give them. Mm. And they're going, you, the home is literally the biggest influencer. That's the number one learning center in your child's life is the home. The yeah. church is secondary. The church can only complement it can never replace and so uh, we are losing that next generation of young people i would say the biggest thing parents can do is just shut those electronics off mm-hmm. that social media and all the video games uh we're abhorred by simply some of the value systems that are being pumped into homes yeah. and uh, you know we raised our children we did we had a television that ran vcr only Came okay. at VCR, if you even remember what that was,
1: I do. And yeah. we had
0: every other Friday was movie night. That was it. We had one Friday, every other Friday, two Fridays a month, where we would sit down and watch something together, usually some cartoon, and then maybe something else. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it. But today, I mean, the electronic babysitter, and it's 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 that is probably our biggest weakest link right now. It's not even the children. Children, do what you allow them to do. Kids have always been squirrels. They'll get away with whatever you can. It's dad and mom. Mm. And moms and dads, I I just want to challenge you. Shut those electronics off. Get the kids into piano. Go ahead and learn to read stories together. Go ahead and spend time as a family. Do a board game. Get the electronics shut off. It is killing the spiritual climate of homes today.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is so true, and yeah. i 'm glad you said that you mentioned to
0: read stories together. you and your wife are big readers, yep, we are we are, yeah, and she does a lot of reading to me while we travel missionary mm. stories, sure uh, biographies, autobiographies, those are all good things, real those, people yeah. Yeah, it just you need to do that and and all of our kids are good readers, they love reading mm. and uh um so i again, mom and dad don 't the pastor is not the one called to raise your children, you are. And you've got to shut this stuff off. You know, Deb wrote a book for ladies called "Becoming a Glorious Daughter of the King." My wife loves that book. That you know what? I I've been astounded. It just came out a little over a year ago. We're into our fourth or fifth printing now. Hmm. It has struck a nerve, yeah. And it's met a need. We I never dreamed it would have that kind of impact. And um, it has it it has it is speaking to the need of what's there. And our homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly. But unfortunately, yeah. we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven and, uh, and uh, a place where children... Listen, whatever happens in the local church, you know, that atmosphere, what do we do in a local church? Well, we keep the world out. We press the word in. We immerse ourselves in spiritual things. We have laughter, testimonies, a good time, fellowship, yeah. food. The home should duplicate that. That you know that you shouldn't have this church setting and then the home. Well, here's where we just pipe in everything. You don't do that at church. I mean, maybe some people do. Maybe Super Bowl Sunday they pipe it in and everybody sits and watches it. I suppose I shouldn't, <laughs> but <laughs> it's but, not you, the way it should. But, be. Yeah. yeah, but you understand what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. we, we get one shout at these kids, and here's the thing: you, you, if we flub that, if we fail in that our, our responsibility as parents. We'll probably get a second shot at parenting. It's called now our grandkids, because our kids are messed up, and now we're raising mm. a generation of grandkids that they should have been raised by them, yeah. and they're not even chasing the Lord. Yeah. So a lot of heartbreak. I, I think it's worth it to invest now yeah. and trust God for fruit down the road. Right.
1: You know somebody once said you can if you um spoil your kids you'll raise your grandkids. Boy, that's but good. if you raise your kids you can spoil your grandkids. That's what we're looking and, for. Uh, and yeah. I love how you said it's so it's so it hit when you said you have one chance
0: to yeah. raise them. Got one shot?
1: One shot. Wow. One shot. Well, Brother Sommerdorf, thank you so much for joining us today. A delight, Brother it was, Josh. Well, it was an absolute honor for me to have you on, and uh, thank you for sitting down, taking time out of your really, really busy schedule to uh, sit down with me and just record this, and I'm sure it's been a help for the listeners out there, and so thank you so much
0: for well, that. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Brother Josh. Lord bless you amen.
1: Well, for the listeners out there, I'm sure you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget those two website links are in the show description, and you can go down and click those and get directly to them and see a little bit about the military Corvette, and make sure to go take a look at that. And I know it was a big help. Now, let me encourage you, go back with a good ink pen and a piece of paper and write down some of those truths, those things about you have one shot. Um, That hits home. That hits home when you remember that. And so let me encourage you to go back and do that. And as you do, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.